Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated is almost always the case. During my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, at least for the rest of December, it's going to be almost always the case. Today is December 15th, 2009. That means you guys have nine shopping days to make sure that you get something for your wife because as much as I talk about frugality and not overspending and things like that, men, if you're married and you don't get your wife a good Christmas present, you're going to have a miserable new year. So make sure you take care of it. Now, Jack practices what he preaches, so just a little aside here at the beginning today. Uh, I wrapped up my Christmas shopping for my wife on the 11th of December. Um, Not bragging, just kind of incentivizing if you haven't done it yet. Don't wait. Don't wait. By the end of the week, it's going to get crazy at those places. All right. So um, let's knock out some housekeeping before we get into the topic of today's show. Today's show is going to be about individual liberty, individual secession, individual sovereignty, your ability to stand up and tell the system and to tell society to go screw I can't put it any softer or gentler because it's a rough topic to talk about telling society that you don't need it anymore. Not that you won't be part of it, that you won't need it. We'll get into that in a minute. Let's knock out our uh, housekeeping first. First, make sure you take care of our sponsors. They help bring the show to you every day. Uh, Sponsor of the day number one today, Backyard Food Production. Uh, Marjorie down uh, south of Austin. Can't be more specific with that for her location. very, very cool setup they have down there. Uh, a 110-minute DVD that I've had to rewind and watch over and over again since uh, the first time I watched it. It is absolutely amazing. It is absolutely outstanding uh, what they've put together in this DVD. And what you'll learn from it will apply to you whether it's a small uh, suburban backyard that you're, you're trying to cultivate and make your own food out of, uh, or you have a small farm, or you even have a big farm. I'm telling you, this DVD is worth a hell of a lot more than what she's charging for it, and uh, I recommend you get a copy. And anybody you know that's into gardening, permaculture, planning, if you're looking for that last-minute Christmas present, order this DVD. You will not be let down. Sponsor of the day, number two, the Lifesaver 4000 water bottle from Ready-Made Resources. This bottle filters down to .015 microns. How small is that? That's a small, smaller than the small viruses and bacterium. It actually filters virus and bacteria out of water. Uh, It gives you portable, on-the-go, safe-to-drink water anywhere that you go. So I really recommend you consider this product as part of your preparedness inventory. Uh, Next thing, hey, check out our gear store. Check out our t-shirts. Check out our challenge coins. I think you'll like them. Sis Wolf and TW have done a great job there. And uh, I really recommend you get by the store once in a while and see some of the stuff that we have available Consider uh, supporting the show that way by advertising it on your back or uh, with something you carry around. Next, join the forum. Get involved with the forum. Done with the forum for the day. Next thing, um, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. The Member Support Brigade is a way that you can help support this show. This show.
show derives the majority of its income from its listeners, not its advertisers. I do that because I stay loyal to you, the listeners. Our advertisers don't just show up and get to advertise. They have to go through an approval process. And if they ever don't take care of one listener one time, and I feel the listener has been done wrong, I will refund them the balance of their money and I will fire the sponsor in favor of the listener. That is why the show was set up the way it is. The cost to support the show is 20 cents an episode. 20 cents an episode, that's $5 a month or $50 a year to support this show uh, if you feel you get that kind of value out of it. And on top of that, in the Members Brigade, you get a lot of great benefits, including there's eight ebooks, totaling almost $100 of value just in the ebooks alone that are back there, plus discounts and all kinds of other great stuff, including members only videos. So I really recommend, if you've been on the fence about the MSV, you know, unless you're in the middle of a debt snowball or something, you're scraping together every dollar for paying off debt, consider joining the Members Brigade. Help me make this show even better. If you are in the middle of a debt snowball, if you are scraping every penny to eliminate your debt, don't join yet. I'm very sincere about that. Take care of business at home first. And then when you have the extra five bucks a month and you want to support the show and you want the value back, join the MSB. All right, from there, let's get on to the show. And let's talk about today, again, individual sovereignty. Uh, one quick thing before I do this. Yesterday I was answering a question about greenhouses and corrugated plastic for the outside of them and a plastic that was made specifically for greenhouse use. I said it was available at Lowe's, and um, I couldn't remember the brand name of this stuff. So I went by Lowe's yesterday, just like I promised you guys, I got picked up a brochure on it. It's called Tough Text. T-U-F-T-E-X. T-U-F-T-E-X. It sells for about $29 for a 12-foot by 26-inch panel of this stuff. And uh, I think it's great for greenhouses. I've seen one uh, really nice cedar greenhouse at the Home and Garden Show that was built with it. That's where I first learned about it. It looked like it would work exceptionally well for the purpose. And yesterday I made a little uh, faux pas, whatever, when I was talking about greenhouses. I said... The, the side of the greenhouse that you don't have to, to make clear is the south side. It's completely wrong. It's the most important side. It's the north side. Somebody mentioned in the, the comments section. I didn't even realize it when I said it that I had flipped them over. But your north side of your greenhouse is never going to get hit with any sun. So there's no reason to spend the money for uh, clear surface on the north side of your greenhouse. Hopefully you know how your sun flows anyway, and you would have never done that anyway. But I wanted to correct one of those things. So now, let's get into the main topic today, which is going to be again, individual sovereignty. See, I believe that you, walking around as a human being, have an inherent level of sovereignty. Meaning that you only have to conform to the things that your society requires of you based on the law of the land that you choose to be part of. And I'm not looking for any outs there. Uh, if there's a law that says you can't go take your neighbor's food out of his house, you have to follow all of that law. Right? If there's a law that says you have to, to pay sales tax when you buy uh, a, a shirt at the, uh, at the Walmart down the street from your house and you choose to go there, fine. The laws of the land have got to be followed. But if it's not a law, it doesn't have to be followed. And you're saying, well, that's not revolutionary. But it is, my friends. Because most people walk around following rules that are not laws. That they don't want to follow. 
they, they do things they don't want to do. They conform to things they don't want to conform to. And as long as you're doing that, it's going to be very difficult for you to build yourself a sustainable lifestyle. And if you truly want to prepare for disasters and emergencies, and you truly want liberty, which we'll talk about a lot today, then it's going to be almost impossible for you to achieve that as long as you're walking around with a mentality of conformity. Now, if we're going to talk about people conforming to rules, and a lot of them aren't even rules. They're societal norms. They're general expectations. A lot of them, nobody would even care if you broke them. They're not even societal norms. They're just what everybody does because they don't know there's another way. They don't know there's another choice. Well, what causes human beings that are born into a world where once they leave the, the, the captivity of maternal and fraternal care, all right, what I'm saying there is from a show that I did last week, when you're born as an infant, you're born into captivity. You have to be or you'll die. You can't set an infant free in the field. Take a baby, put it out in the field, set it free, it dies. Freezes, starves, what have you. There's a certain level of captivity that human beings and most creatures are born into. And that's a natural order of captivity. It's not a negative type of captivity. And it's a captivity that begins waning almost from the, the point of birth. In other words, the most captive you will ever be is the day that you're born. And if you're growing and progressing right as a human being and you have enlightened parents, every day you should be less captive. And at some point in your teens, you should be completely free from captivity. That doesn't mean you're not involved with your parents. may not even mean that you've moved out of your house. But they're not telling you how to live your life and you're not going to them for everything that you possibly need. The, the, the relationship at that point is completely consensual from both sides, not required. All right? Now, once you have that, why on earth would you conform to things that you don't want? Why do people do it? Well, it's the first question I have for you today that will lead you to that answer. And it, I want you to understand that this does not pertain to things like your kid's life or your own life. Alright? In some ways it does, but it's too deep for this discussion. It pertains to things that you nest, that you, that you, you should be able to lose and not fear. And so the question is, what do you fear losing? What do you fear doing without? When you look around your house and your home and your daily life, do you feel losing your, fear losing your house financially or physically? Do you fear losing your job? Do you fear losing the ability to go to the grocery store? Most people don't realize they fear losing the, the ability to go to the grocery store, but they do, because they know they have to eat. It's intrinsic. It's inside of us. We must survive. As hunter-gatherers, we wandered early in society looking for food. It was the thing that compelled us more than anything else. Just because we've created a society that's abdicated the need for that doesn't mean that it's gone away. That desire to make sure that we feed ourselves is still there. And that's why people panic when it comes to things like, oh, we could lose a job. Well, i got to put food on the table. There's a reason that saying is part of American society. We have to put food on the table. It's a fundamental. I have to keep a roof over their head and put food on the table. How many times have you heard that? 
Well, you only make statements like that about things that you actually fear the loss of. In other words, if you lived in a home that was paid for and had taxes that were so low you could go out and pick up aluminum cans once a week and pay your taxes on it, and there's absolutely no way that you would ever be thrown out of your home, it would be there forever no matter what, you had it structured in such a way that that was the case, you might then say, when you talk about working and making a living and earning an income, i got to put food on the table, but you would never again say, i got to keep a roof over our head. You wouldn't say it. You wouldn't even think about it. You wouldn't worry about it. That's taken care of. See, we only say things I have to keep. It's important that we, when we fear their loss. Some places that's healthy. I mentioned earlier, I'm not talking about the fear of loss of, of a child's life or the loss of your spouse's life or the loss of your marriage, the loss of a relationship. See, those are healthy fears to have some fear of that loss. It makes us treasure what we have now. It makes us care for what we have now. But when we have a fear that makes us do things that we would prefer not to do, that's an unhealthy fear. And it gets in the way of our individual sovereignty. And make no mistake about it, I am talking about sovereignty from the government. That's what this is really all about. Sovereignty from the government and sovereignty from the corporatism that exists in our nation today. Independence from those two. You see, you can have a relationship as long as the two parties are equal. That's a relationship. If you have anything else, you have servitude or slavery, depending on how deep it goes and how much more power the master has. When you go to work and you work for a boss and you do a job every day, you're in servitude. Not slavery, but servitude. Slavery is more, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, see, you can leave that employer and go to another one, so that's not slavery. But the slavery for most people is self-chosen. If I don't have money, I can't go to the grocery store, I can't feed myself, therefore I've become a slave to a system of income. It has to be at a certain level or the whole system around me breaks down. So when we start to understand these things, we have to ask the next question. Why do you fear its loss? This is a deeper question than you might think it is. You might be thinking, well, I fear the loss of the ability to feed ourselves because we'll starve. Duh. But that is the irrational fear. When I say, why do you fear its loss? I'm saying, why? Or let's say the next question answers this one, if we really think about it. How can you remove your dependence on the thing you fear losing? So the reason you fear it's loss is because you haven't set up a, a, a redundancy. You haven't set up an alternative. You haven't created an exit strategy. How much did we hear from the left when uh, we went into Iraq? We don't have an exit strategy. We don't have an exit strategy. And the same guy that was running his mouth about that, I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm talking about irony here. He was running his mouth that way and buying a $400,000 house on a $70,000 a year income. He didn't have an exit strategy to get out of that, and that's why he's screwed today. So if you want sovereignty, you have to have redundancy in your life. 
It doesn't mean that you quit your job tomorrow. Please don't do that and say, Honey, Jack told me to quit my job so I could be a sovereign human being. Man, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but you better have a plan before you do it. Okay? But what I'm saying is, do you have a redundancy? And sometimes the system is utilized to create the redundancy. Employment's a perfect example. The more money you don't spend that you earn and you save and keep accessible to yourself, the less need and dependence you have on the system of employment. What can you do to reduce the dependence? Are you afraid that you'll turn the water faucet on one day and the water won't come out of it? Do you need a well? Do you need rain catchment? What do you need to make that fear go away? Do you fear that you won't be able to go to the grocery store? Most people do. Is that why your your, your, your storage closet is full of food? That's one step to removing the food uh, scare. The fear of losing that ability. But if you're not growing your own food, that is a finite system. What happens is people take, this is why I'm so big on gardening, folks. They take the fear that I may not be able to go to the grocery store, and they get rid of it by storing some food. Nothing wrong with that in of itself. But if we stop there, we look at the food and we go, i got 90 days. You know what happens next? Fear that I'll run out. If something goes wrong, I might not have enough. Now we have a new fear. Because storage is not sustainable. It's a stopgap. Let me say that again. Storage is not sustainable. It's a stopgap. It's a stopgap measure. Even if you have three years, some of the stuff we talk about, maybe you'll need more. Maybe you'll have three years, but you'll want to be able to share with others. Maybe you won't be a little hermit walled up in your house like a coward, afraid that somebody might find out who you are and come want your food. Maybe you'll reach out to your neighbors and feed them because it's the humane thing to do. And to the one coward listening, you know who you are and you know I'm talking to you. I'm just going to throw jabs like that in once in a while. And and maybe there's a million reasons that whatever you store might not be enough. And if you replace the old fear, I can't go get more, with a new fear, if I can't go get more, I might run out of what I have. We've, We've accomplished nothing. But if we start to create a sustainable system around ourselves, if we have the ability to provide 50% of the food that we need, our sustainability just went out a 1,000%. Because our food storage now will take us twice as far, and in reality it will take us much further than that. Because those two working together will give us the ability to increase our production capacity over time, and people, we can feed ourselves. We've been lied to. We've been the skills necessary and the knowledge necessary to feed ourselves has been robbed from us and taken away. There's so much food out there right now you could just go get if you knew where to get it and how to get it. It's unbelievable. So along with the things like producing your own food, you need to learn where to go get your own food, where to find your own food. Remove the fear. Think about it. In tens of thousands of years of human history. For the vast majority of them, people went wherever they wanted, they did whatever they wanted, they walked around naked if they felt like it in the, in the woods. I'm not suggesting you do that. You might end up in a rubber room. I'm just saying that's the way it was. And people didn't worry about food that much. They just walked around until they found something. When they found something, they ate it. If it made them sick, they didn't eat it again. They weren't sure. They watched the animals. If the animals ate it, and more than one or two different types of animals ate it and didn't get sick, they'd try a little bit of it. If they didn't get sick, they'd eat a little bit more. Once they determined that was a safe food to eat, they ate it. 
And then they got smart and decided the stuff that was out there, the vegetation and the fruits and the nuts that were out there wild, if we gave them just a little bit of care, they would thrive. And we had the first forest gardens. Not agriculture. We had the first permaculture. Permaculture begat agriculture. Think about that. The thing that we see is an alternative way of living today, an alternative way of growing, permaculture, a food forest. Not rows and rows and rows of plants and great big fields of barley and wheat. But permaculture came first. The Native Americans practiced permaculture like crazy across this country. Most people aren't aware of that, and many people that studied history until recently weren't even aware of that. They didn't get it. There was all, you know, I learned from Christopher Nidges out at Dirt Time. There were all these places throughout the south, the southwest United States where all these wild plants were growing. And then the Indians were removed by our actions. And for a hundred years they kept producing. And, and recently they've noticed that they're beginning to fail. The systems are beginning to fail. And they didn't realize that the natives were tending these systems very, very moderately. They didn't have to do I mean, it went a hundred years. But they were doing little things to keep them going, to propagate them, to continue them, to help the species replenish themselves, to give the species an advantage over the less desirable species of plants around it. The first agriculture was permaculture. That's why it should be part of your life. That's what made people free at one time. That's what gave them liberty. I could just, I didn't have to, you know, all these things, you know, I'm going to go out in the wilderness with a knife strapped to my back and I'm going to prove that I can survive. You know what? It wasn't a big deal back then, guys. If you knew where everything was, people just, when I were hungry, they had it over. That's this time of year. This is what's available. It's in this area of the forest. I'll go over there. I'm saying you can do that in your backyard. That's part of individual sovereignty. The next thing I want to ask you is, why do you think societies have become built upon dependence? If you look at the United States of America, which despite our problems is still probably the greatest nation on the planet right now, But we're built on dependence. How many people in our country are dependent on government assistance? And I'll even take out Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. People, in the majority of people that are in those programs, let's leave Medicaid in, okay? Let's take out Medicare and Social Security. People that are of retirement age. Paid in a large portion of their income throughout their entire life to receive that back. Their wealth was taken from them and is being piecemealed back to them at a substandard level. They would have been better off if they were able to keep their wealth. So let's take those people out when I say how many people in this country are dependent upon the government. But let's look at it, everything else. Food stamps, WIC, welfare, unemployment benefits. Sorry if you're on unemployment, I'm not putting you down. But right now you're dependent upon the government. Okay? What about government employees? People that work for state, local, or federal government. If we just pulled the plug on government tomorrow, it would create a disaster you can't even imagine. 
And I'm talking about leaving law enforcement in place and the judicial system in place and the confinement systems in place. So we keep, I'm not talking about pulling a complete plug. But if we just decided, hey, we're going to reduce the size of government to 10% of what it is, which is probably big enough to do what really needs to be done, but if we try to do it in 48 hours, we destroy our country. Because I would tell you that about half of the people in this nation today are in one form, shape, or another directly dependent on the coffers that come from government. Why would we do such a thing? How dangerous is it? To have a society dependent upon its government. Didn't we have a war to get rid of that? Do you understand what that means? That means that the people that run for office to run your country now have 50% of the population that 100% back the increase in size or the maintaining in size of government. Because if you work for the government, or if you're dependent upon government, a cut might affect you, and our selfish human natures take over because of fear. When they get it to 60%, folks, it's game over. They'll be able to do anything they want because they'll lead the people by fear. That's why we need people individually declaring their sovereignty today. It's why it's important. It's why all the disaster preparations we talk about, all the survival topics we talk about, mean absolutely freaking nothing if we lose our freedom. Let me ask you another question. One that will cut to the core of this. One that when I first ask it, you're going to think is the easiest question you could ever answer in your life. And you're going to find out it's a very difficult question to answer. The question is, what is liberty? Let's say it again. What is liberty? I'm going to give you a second. Try to answer it for yourself, even in your head. What is liberty? Now let me make the question more difficult. You're sitting at home, you're watching TV, you have no desire to go anywhere right now, you have your feet propped up on your you know, dining room, not dining room table, your, your, your coffee table, you're petting your dog, you have your remote control, your 200 channels on the TV set, it's what you really want, you're not even lulled into a false sense of belief that it's what you want, it is exactly what you want right now, you've chosen to be there freely, openly, with a full mind, it's not a trick question, you really want to be there, at that moment do you have liberty? I think most people, if you'll trust me, this is not a trick question, would say of course you do. You're free to get up, you're free to do whatever you want, and that's what you've chosen to do. So while you're taking that action, for at least that moment in time, you have liberty. What if I pick up the phone and I call you and I go, Hi, this is Jack Spirico from FEMA. We have a national emergency taking place that's centered around your area. You are now confined to your home. You cannot leave. Thank you for being a good citizen. Please stay put. It's your own best interest to stay put. Okay? Do you even believe me? 
you, you, you look out your windows and your neighborhood looks fine, but you turn the channel on that TV flicker and you see that just a few blocks away, there's people going nuts in the street and there's real anarchy and it's probably dangerous out there and you and your ears should stay put. Now, remember... You were already watching TV. You didn't want to go anywhere, and who knows, they'll probably have the streets cleaned up by the time you want to leave. Do you still have liberty? Or does the simple knowledge that you cannot leave, you cannot get out, does that remove your liberty? Is a prison cell any less a prison cell because I put a TV set in it and give you a remote control? If I put you in a beautiful house, gorgeous house, house you could never afford, with everything you could ever want, a huge backyard, if you're a fisherman, a lake to fish, I even gave you some guns and a rifle range, I gave you a virtual survivalist utopia to live on, 50 acres of land around it, a garden to tend, and whatever, you know, if that doesn't work for you, whatever does work for you, but around it was a giant gate. A locked gate that you couldn't get through. And I said, here you are. Enjoy yourself. Would you not immediately feel trapped? Would you not immediately start looking for a weakness in the system so you could get out? Even though it might be better than anything else you ever had. If I take a mouse, even a domesticated mouse that grew up in captivity, and I put him in a new cage, does he not immediately go to every corner of the cage to see if there's a way out? You take a house cat that always lived in the house, go to a new, move to a new home, put her down in her new home, does she not immediately explore the entire house and seek a way out, determine the confines, even though it's a creature that's accepted captivity? Don't they seek liberty? Don't they seek freedom? Now, if I gave you that big mansion with a rifle range and 50 acres and everything you could ever want on it, there's a very good chance that you might spend two or three weeks there, especially if you didn't have to leave for food, without ever even wanting to leave. But the minute that I take away the ability for you to leave, this is important that you understand this and you get out of this, what I'm trying to convey to you. The minute I take away the ability to leave, the liberty's gone. And you know it's gone. And you feel trapped, even though you're in a very pleasant place. Do you know what that means, folks? Liberty is a complete, intangible thing. It's a thought. It's an idea. It doesn't exist in a hard form. Liberty is invisible. It can't be given from one person to another. It must be claimed. It lives in your heart, your soul, your spirit, and you know it when you have it. And here's the important part. You know it when you don't have it. You feel trapped when you don't have it. And most people in their lives today do not have liberty. They're trapped. They may have really decorated the prison cell well. 
They might have a 60-inch plasma in one of their prism cells. They might have wonderful pictures of their family decorating the other prison cell. And they might spend most of their life either in one cell or the other, driving to one and from the other. And they use the, they use the payments that they receive in one prison to fund the payment so they can maintain the other one. Yes, most people live in a cubicle or an office space that is a prison. And they use it to pay for a prison that they call their home or their house. And that's reality. And the reason is because they can't leave. That's what makes it a prison. Remember the beautiful house that I just described to you, how happy you were to hear about it, and how unhappy you would be the minute you were told you could not leave. Now let me ask you a question. If you wanted to, tomorrow, could you leave your job without severe, painful consequences? If you wanted to, tomorrow, could you leave your house without severe, painful consequences? And so you can answer both of those questions with a yes, you are in a prison. I'm sorry. That is the way that it is. And what we need in this country is a revolution, a peaceful revolution. So my next question for you is, what would be a peaceful revolution? What is a peaceful revolution? Four, five, six, ten million people waking up to the prison that they live in and deciding, okay, I'm in prison. I have to conform to this. I put myself here. How long is my sentence going to be before I have freedom? I'm not a slave. I'm an indentured servant by my own choice. So these shows all connect together. If you've been listening for the last couple weeks. Are you a slave or are you an indentured servant? And a slave will always be a slave. Unless someone else purchases their freedom, they will always be a slave. They will stay in the prison that they've created for themselves, and they will stay there from now until the day that they die. The indentured servant will say, I chose this. It might have been a mistake. It might not have been a mistake. I don't really know which one it is, but I chose this. But now I have to work and earn my freedom. I might have to work twice as hard as the slaves, but I won't be one. I'll be an indentured servant. I'm going to get myself out of this. I'm going to pay for my home so it stops becoming a prison, and I'm going to make it my freaking castle. And I'm going to work hard enough to put up enough systems of redundancy, be they cash, be they food production, be they storage, be they the elimination of debt, whatever is necessary, I will create liberty from my employment. So I will work as I choose, where I choose, and how I choose, because I don't need it, because I want the extra things that come from it. And I will see my home as a producer, not a consumer. I won't give 50% of my life to provide for my house. I'll expect my house to provide for 50% of me. A peaceful revolution is 10 million people doing that, 20 million people doing that. That's more powerful than any political movement. That's true libertarianism. You cannot set the stage for what you want your government to do right now. You cannot tell your government what to do right now. They're ignoring even the sheeple that are angry. They're certainly not going to listen to you. We don't want this. Passed. We don't want that. Passed. Don't think we're going to win this battle against health care. 
pass something. It'll happen in the spring next year before the, uh, the, the, the things really kick off. We'll have Republican shills telling us they did the best they could for us and they got a compromise and they're not happy with the bill, but they had no choice but to either be part of the process or whatever other bullshit they'll come up with. I'm like, I, I can't go there right now. I'm trying to make this show exciting and energizing, and that's just going to depress me, and that's my point. You go into that political rat hole too deep, and you get depressed, and you get overwhelmed, and you realize the prison that you're really in. And then you do what always happens in prison. What happens when you put people in prison? They create factions. They create groups. They fight the other side. They create prison gangs. When you say I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, or I'm a liberal, or I'm a progressive, or I'm a conservative, you know what you're doing? You're lining yourself up with a prison gang. The liberal prison gang, the conservative prison gang, the progressive prison gang, what have you. The libertarian prison gang. When you make that label identify who you are, do you think it actually matters politically? Does that mean you can't say, well, I'm liberal on this and conservative on that? No. But that doesn't mean you're part of the gang. The people that actually believe, hey, you know what? If we just took over the prison, it would be a better place. Because as soon as one prison gang actually got dominance in the prison, do you know what would happen? It would bicarpurate and split into two new gangs. And they would begin fighting with each other. And any time there was a total unification, eventually there would be a breakdown. Because the power-hungry always want more. And if your side controls everything and you're not on the top, you need to break away just to create the ability to get to the top. So when you look at class warfare, realize now it's not just class warfare. It's not just something used to control you. It's the populace responding to their imprisonment. Looking to each other and going, it sucks to be in this prison. Who here can I have get my back, make sure I don't get shanked? Who here can I trust, even though they're really not trustable? I trust them more than that guy. That's exactly what we are as a population right now. But you know the guys that get through prison best? The ones that don't get involved with anybody. But stay away from that. They make it out. They always know that sooner or later the bars are going to open, they're going to walk out, and they're going to be free. They will have paid for whatever they've done wrong, and they can go back to living the way that they choose instead of being told when to eat and when to take a piss. Too harsh? Sorry. That's the way it is. And in some ways, that's what you're told right now. When do you punch the time clock in? When do you punch the time clock out? When do you take your lunch? Can I take off early to go see my son tonight? Sometimes your boss says yes, sometimes he says no. Boss man. Just like prison. That's what most people are living in. A peaceful revolution is millions of people opting out. They say, I'll live by the law of the land. I won't break the law, but I'm not going to live in a prison. I'm not going to be in a prison of debt. I'm not going to be in a prison of employment. I'm not going to be in a prison of, of dependence on any systems whatsoever. I'm a sovereign human being, damn it. I have dignity. I have rights, and I claim them. And if you don't like it, go screw. I'm not telling you how to live. I'm living my way. You get enough people doing that, then you get freedom. Then you get liberty. 
then you will change the government. Because, folks, the government is a reflection of who you and I and the rest of society are. And you look at them and you go, not me. You got a guy or two up there that's like you. Maybe it's Ron Paul. Maybe it was Jesse Ventura when he was governor. Who knows? But you're the minority. That's why you have the minority in our government. The majority of people in this country want cradle-to-grave entitlements. They want to be taken care of. They believe that the rich are greedy and the poor are poor and they're stuck in the middle and they want their come-uppance. They want their due. They want to be given what they have coming. And they buy into a lie that places them into a prison, and they continuously they continuously elect other prisoners. That's why our entire government is run by criminals. Because they're elected by prisoners. Who the hell would you expect a prisoner to elect? A clean, honest guy from the outside or a criminal from the inside? That's exactly, and I'm not saying the population is full of criminals. They're prisoners. Not everybody in the prison is guilty. Or they're guilty of things that don't make them criminals. You know what a criminal is. A criminal is a person that when they take an illegal action, it hurts somebody else. A prisoner is a person that ended up in a, in a prison because someone else decided they belong there or they took an action that put themselves into that place. Not necessarily a criminal. But you get prisoners together and you ask them who to elect. They're going to elect criminals. So we have criminals in our government. A peaceful revolution. I'm out. I'm out. Sorry. I'm not going to play your game. You have to. No, I don't. Put 50. No. But you. No. But without. No. See how easy that is? No. One thing they had right with the war on drugs. Just say no. Just say no to prison. Let's talk about another question right now. What is legal compliance and systemic anarchy? We hear a lot of people talk about being an anarchist. Opting out of the rule of law. So what I've been talking about the whole time here. You can't decide, since I'm individually sovereign, and I have my rights to anything that I want, I'm going to go over to my neighbor's house and take food out of the refrigerator and eat it. Because that violates the inborn moral ethical code that human beings have. That's why we created laws against that behavior in the first place. Because we all know it's wrong. We all know that if I have the freedom to come steal the food out of your refrigerator, then someone else who's bigger and stronger than me has the freedom to come steal food out of my refrigerator. So we have certain moral and ethical codes that we follow that are reflected to a large degree in legal systems throughout the world. Most legal systems are inherently good at their core. And that's why the systems that make us dependent upon the government generally exist outside of the direct legal system. The IRS is not empowered by law. It's empowered by code that it writes for itself. There is no law requiring you to file a tax return. That's something you'll learn from Aaron Russo's film, Freedom of Fascism. There's no law. No one can anywhere point to a law. But there's an IRS code that requires it. And you bet your ass they'll enforce that code if you don't file and they catch you. And I'm going to get emails from people today. I haven't paid taxes. They'll get you. They'll get you. They got what's his name? Wesley Snipes or whoever down in Florida. They got him. They'll get you. Of course they'll get you. 
that's why that is, because legal systems in themselves have a hard time with laws that are not congruent with individual human rights. Doesn't mean it can't be done, doesn't mean it isn't done, but you'll notice that the greatest atrocities committed by, on the American people by our government are done through the enforcement of code, not law. The Federal Reserve Act created the Federal Reserve, but the actions of the Federal Reserve exist outside of the law. They exist as policy. When you really want to do evil as a government, you create systems that have autonomy from the general legal practices of the system, and you let them do their work through writing code and writing policy and enacting policy. And that's how your money is devalued, and that's how your money is taken from you. And that's how, once your money is taken for you from you, it is redistributed. It is not generally done by law. It is done by code. It is done by policy. It is done by things that exist outside of the constitutionality of our country. So the way that you have legal compliance and systemic anarchy is that you do everything that the law requires of you, and to a degree, everything that codes require of you. But you understand where the bicurfuration is, where one veers off from the other, and you do everything you can to minimize it by not participating in it. It's part of why you buy silver. The Federal Reserve says you have to have your money devalued. You say, no, I don't. I'll convert some of it into something that doesn't get devalued in the same way, that has a track record of just so happening to meet that exact devaluation. The Federal Reserve says you have to have your wealth devalued, and you say, no, I don't. I'll pay for my home, I'll sit on it, and that appreciates in value, and I'll make it produce for me so I don't have to work as hard. The government says you have to pay higher and higher taxes all the time. And you say, no, I don't. I'll produce enough for myself that I don't need as much income, and I'm going to work less, damn it. I'm going to enjoy my individual liberty and freedom, and when I do that, vicariously, I'm going to give you less, and I'm going to empower you less. federal government says if you want a beer, you've got to pay a sin tax. And you say, no, I don't. I'll brew my own beer. That's individual anarchy. That is when you say, I will be legally compliant, but systemically I will be an anarchist. That's freedom. And that's what I want. I want millions of people doing that. So what should you do next? Whatever the hell you want. Within the, 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 the realistic boundaries that you have to deal with. If you're sitting in a $300,000 house that you owe $280,000 on and you can't sell right now, you have to deal with that. You created it for yourself. I'm not going to have a pity party for you. I'm not. I'm sorry. You have to work yourself out of it. But you do what you want. You don't just go, oh, stuck. Figure out how to get out of it if that's what you want out. Or figure out how to pay for it so you don't have to worry about it anymore. Create energy independence. Create food independence. Create water independence. Create mental independence. That's the important one. Switch your mind. Refuse to comply. Refuse to do as you're told. Just because you've been told. That's what you do next. Stand up. Tell the world to go screw off. You're going to do what you want. Do it verbally. Do it loud. Yell it. Go screw. This is my life. I'll run it my way. Get angry. And then get happy. Because that anger will lead you to happiness. 
Realize that you are a sovereign human being. Realize that even though the Missouri law enforcement organization put around a a uh, handout that went to their law enforcement officials that said people that declare individual sovereignty are terrorists, you're not a terrorist, but you sure as hell have individual sovereignty. Absolutely have individual sovereignty. And no one should ever be permitted to take it from you. And realize that you can only lose the sovereignty by your own choice. There are people that are in actual prison cells right now, that are in jail, that have five years to go until they're free, that in some ways are more free in their minds and in their hearts than the average American. Because they know their freedom's coming and they haven't given up on it. And they choose to uh, not comply. I'm not trying to make a hero out of criminals today. I'm just giving you a fundamental reality. There are people in our prison system that have in their hearts more liberty than people that walk around supposedly free on the streets of every day. Now, here's the last one I want to ask you. Does it really matter? Does your little backyard garden and your four fruit trees really matter? Does your little stash of gold and silver really matter? Does your 90-day or 6-month supply of food really matter? Does your well really matter? Do you four or five solar panels or your little battery backup system or a generator or anything that gives you any level of energy independence whatsoever, does it really matter? You bet your ass it matters, and that's why the society is afraid of it. That's why the government's afraid of it. That's why they're trying to play down all the new gardeners to people. Oh, they're just responding to the depression. It's like the victory gardens from from World War II, and you know, it's just it's hard economic times. It is not hard economic times to have people gardening. Hard economic times have awakened people to the knowledge that they have lost. When you realize you've lost something, you seek it. They went out and sought the knowledge. And the knowledge was that our homes were supposed to provide for us. And they're, oh yeah, that's what they're doing. They're trying to get through hard economic times. No, they're not. They're reclaiming lost knowledge. And that gives people power. And that scares the shit out of authority. That scares the shit out of corporate authority, too. You don't think Monsanto is, is, is just scared shitless of home gardens? Because you know what happens. The home gardener can't produce enough for themselves in general. But you know what they realize? Hey, this tastes better. And they start looking for small local growers, and they start asking questions like, Hey, do you use genetically modified foods? Do you use genetically modified organisms? Do you, do, do you grow organically? I'm looking for somebody locally to buy from that grows this stuff organically and doesn't use this genetically modified stuff. And that starts to grow a market, and then that starts to spread. But people like it. People go, this is cool, and capitalism starts to take over from fascism. That scares the hell out of Monsanto. You think the government really wants everybody in America to put solar panels on their roof and provide half of their own electricity? You think they want that? Hell no, they don't want that. Let me ask you a question. How much money do you think it would cost our government if 10% of Americans produce 50% of their own electricity? It would cost them billions of dollars in tax revenue. Billions of dollars. It scares the hell out of them. How much do you think it matters when people realize that maybe the best place for my money isn't all in the stock market? What if all Americans took 10% of their stock holdings and converted it into silver, gold, real estate? and improving their property so that it became a producer, and then cut their income by 
What would that cost corporate America? What would that cost the fascist state? What would that cost our government? Folks, it matters. It scares them, and it scares them bad. Nothing scares your government more than a garden trowel in your hand. Far more than a rifle. If you pick up a rifle to rebel against your government, they will have 100% backing of the media and the average person when they squash you like a bug, and they will. When you pick up a garden trowel and say, I will feed myself, when you drill a hole in the ground and say, I will provide water for myself, when you put a solar panel on your roof and say, I will provide my own energy, when you store some food and say, if things break down, I will take care of myself and I will take care of my neighbor, you've killed dependence on their energy system. You've killed dependence on their welfare system because you're willing to take care of your neighbor. You've, de- 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 you've, you've destroyed the public work system because you don't need people pumping water around in pipes. Because it's pretty much everywhere if you know how to get it. You've destroyed the dependence upon the food distribution system and subsidized agriculture. Take it one step further and say, I will pick up a rifle simply to defend my home. Not to rebel. But if you break in my house, you leave horizontal. I'll dial 911 so they can come pick you up off the ground. Not so they can come try to catch you while I cower in the closet. And you take away a huge part of the need for protection from the government. You create liberty. And when you create one little microscopic drop of liberty in this nation as an individual, it scares the hell out of government. That's why they don't like us. That's why they always point to the crazy people. That's why they always point to that guy in the middle of the mountains, hiding in a bunker with 20 cases of MREs and 5 million rounds of ammunition that 99 times out of 100 doesn't even really exist. That guy's not even there. He doesn't exist. He's not real. You take a 1,000 people, there's maybe one of those. Maybe one. It might be one in 10,000. But that's who they point to. Why? Because you, the majority of the people that have decided, I want liberty, I want independence, and I don't want to do what you tell me I have to do, and I'll live my life my way, scares them. So do it. Take it. It's your birthright. I heard another one of our talking head, moronic um, radio personalities, and this is going to piss some people off, and I tell you who it was. Sean Hannity yesterday going, I have constitutional rights. I have a right. That guy doesn't have a right. I'm an American citizen. I get constitutional rights. He's not. He doesn't. Bullshit. Somebody call this guy up and tell him he's an ass clown. The Constitution of the United States applies to human beings. It's your birthright because you're human, not because you're an American. You're blessed to live in a land that still pays some attention to it and still affords you the protection of those rights under it. But those rights existed the day you were born, and they existed before this nation was born. They are human rights inherent to the individual as a human being. 
That's why it's a dangerous document. Do you know what else they fear? They hate it. They absolutely hate it when you, I, or anybody else that's part of a survivalist community starts talking about the Constitution. They'll lie. They'll say, oh, the only, the only amendment those guys even know is the Second Amendment. Oh, I know the Tenth. The one that says you, the federal government, are supposed to stay the hell out of my business, and if the Constitution doesn't say that you belong there, you don't, and those rights of governance declare down to the states or to me, the people, that your job as the federal government is to prevent the state from infringing upon my right, and the ultimate authority lies with me. So I know a little bit more than the second. I know that I have the right to free speech. I know that the Constitution protects that right, but I know it didn't give it to me, that I was born with this big mouth so I could use it against people like you. I know that I have a right not to incriminate myself. How am I doing? I know that, you know, it sounds like it's outdated, but it's not. I know that if you send people to my home and you tell me I have to bring them inside and feed them and care for them because you said so, I don't. It's my home. I have a right to private property. How am I doing, huh? Do I know a little bit more than one right? They lie about it because it scares them. They don't want the Constitution brought up. The Constitution, in the words of our own former President George Bush, is just a goddamn piece of paper. And I'm sorry that offends some of you when I say that combination of words. I don't say it much anymore, but I'm quoting the man. That's what he said, not me. Look it up if you don't believe it. That's why they feel that way, because it gives you power. It gives you authority. The Constitution, in the words of Barack Obama, is a document of negative liberties, because it says what the government cannot do to you, but does not tell the government what it must do for you. Absolutely right. My only problem with him is he has a problem with that. That's exactly what it is. And you know what that means? That you have the authority, and they are our servants. That going and serving in the government is supposed to be indentured servitude. Not working for them is supposed to be indentured servitude. So the only, this is all I can give you. This is everything I can give you about your individual liberty. And if you really want change, if you're one of these political activist people and you're running around with a sign with anybody's name on it, I don't care who it is, and you think you're really going to make a difference that way, you're not going to make a difference that way. The way you live is what will make a difference. I bet you I have very politically different views in a lot of areas than Jules Dervais does. But I bet you Jules Dervais, by living the way he lives, has had a bigger revolutionary impact than any political advocate has anywhere in the United States of America. And the funny thing is, the majority of his impact, even though we might have some different political views, I completely agree with and support. Even though we politically disagree. Why? Because if I have individual sovereignty, and if people will stay out of my business and let me live my life my way, and not step on my constitution and take away my rights then I don't care what you think. And I'm not going to get in the way of you living the way you want to live, and you don't get in the way of the way I want to live. And gee, everything works out. But it takes millions of people thinking that way. I hope today I've challenged you to think, act, and be an individual sovereign human being. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life in liberty if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.